Hi, I'm Stuart Spinks and welcome to episode 222 of my podcast, Beekeeping Short and Sweet. I always said there would be bumps in the road as we build our beekeeping business this year. I wasn't quite prepared for the massive pothole that is our failed borage pollination this summer. Listen in to hear what's happened and what we're doing to manage it. Beekeeping Short and Sweet, a beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span. A beekeeper, in fact, just like me. I'm delighted to say that our podcast is now sponsored in part by Simon the Beekeeper. Making beekeeping an affordable hobby for everyone, Simon the Beekeeper provides the best value beekeeping equipment possible, along with a super fast delivery service. The bees won't wait, so their customers don't have to either. Visit the website at www.simonthebeekeeper.co.uk. Hi everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. Can you believe it's the end of July? We certainly raced through that month, didn't we? Now, this will be very confusing for some of you, I understand. It's probably late August now. Let me explain. My podcast is published each week on my Patreon page. Those of you that have subscribed to the podcast tier of my Patreon page get the podcast released each week and exclusively. For anyone listening via Apple Podcasts, Spotify or any other podcast app, you'll be getting the podcast around four weeks later after the initial publication. It's exactly the same podcast, just released a little bit later. If you'd like to get the podcast as it's published each week, head over to my Patreon page and sign up to the Podcast Plus tier. The web address and details can be found in the podcast notes that accompany each podcast, and you'll be helping me get more and more of these videos and podcasts out for all of you beekeepers. The reason I mention that is that I had a couple of emails this week asking why there was a delay in the podcast reaching Spotify. But hopefully, now that I've cleared that up, we can get into the discussion about this summer's honey crop and how things have panned out. And as you've probably realised, there's good, bad and ugly. I guess we start with the bad news. It's also the ugly news. The two go hand in hand, really, and it's borderline disastrous for me this year. In fact, let's mix it all together because a comparison between the various locations is actually quite helpful in learning about what's happened, why it's happened and how we can improve for next year. There is going to be a next time, as the farming question has already set out its crop plans for next year. Um, More about that another time. So let's just recap on our summer plans. We had three main sites for our colonies this year. Two of them are on borage pollination and one pumpkins. We have one farmer with the borage and pumpkins and the other farmer with just borage. And it is his first year growing the crop. For obvious reasons, I'm not going to give out the exact locations, but I think it's fair to say most people know that Essex is where a huge amount of borage is grown. The two borage locations are some distance apart and have different soil types, and I suspect that this is one of the primary reasons for the issues we've faced this summer. The pumpkin and borage farmer has heavy clay soil. It's the same farmer that we worked with last year. The other farmer 
has light sandy soil and I think this is where the issues are. That and the incredible dry summer we've had and we're all aware of that. It all started nicely in June. In fact the borage at let's call it the sandy farm seemed to have a head start on the other farm. We'll call it clay farm. The borage germinated and grew super fast and appeared to be something like two weeks ahead of the borage growing at clay farm. Then we hit a major problem that scuppered our plans for the rest of the year. It didn't rain. It hasn't rained. I think in conversations with the farmer, he reckons they've had around three to six millimetres of rain all summer in total. Add to this the fields chosen by the farmer for this first year of experimental borage growing happen to be in the one place that he couldn't irrigate and we have a perfect storm of conditions, although a storm is exactly what we needed and what we didn't get. Over at Clay Farm, things were looking, way back at the beginning of June, pretty desperate. The farmer couldn't sow his borage when he wanted to because the ground was so dry, despite it being on heavy clay soil. However, it did rain for a few hours way back then, and it allowed him to get the borage seed in the ground and germinated. These plants just look terrible though. Small, thin-looking stems, nothing like the fleshy, thick plants that we saw last year in 2021. I was a little worried, to say the least. We had a huge investment in this season, as you all know, and it adds a certain amount of pressure. Anyway, back to the borage and pumpkins. Over at Sandy Farm, the borage was growing nicely to start with, the rain that hit Clay Farm had also reached here and it gave the plants a nice boost. By early July they were starting to flower strongly. Meanwhile at the pumpkin fields the farmer was irrigating the pumpkin plants and they were growing well and starting to flower. I published a video this week showing a colony on the pumpkins. These were a small nuke just a few months ago and boy what a transformation. Lots of bees and a growing honey crop from them. It's not all bad news, honestly. To put things into perspective, though, I would hope to crop around a tonne of honey from about 25 strong production colonies on the borage, and that as a kind of baseline. It's what we saw kind of pro rata last year, so you see my levels of expectation for our honey crop this year have been quite high. Who would have thought we would hit a drought and no irrigation at our primary borage site at Sandy Farm. The borage stalled. It kept flowering, but just didn't have enough moisture in the ground to keep the pollinators coming back for more and more nectar. There just wasn't any. Many of the colonies we had here were the spring splits made in late May, with new queens added around the last week of May and the first week of June. These should have been exploding and packing away nectar and pollen. Instead, they were hunkering down and filling brood nests with stores as everything dried up. The sandy farm site covered around 100 acres, and for pollination purposes, we place approximately one hive per acre. I'll let you do the maths. Remember, one tonne per 25 production colonies, or thereabouts, was my expectation. Meanwhile, at Clay Farm, the borage plants were catching up with their sandy farm counterparts, and having a small amount of moisture in the heavy soil meant that the plants were able to generate a little more nectar. 
not flowing out of the plants as last year, you understand, but certainly not totally dried up as some of the borage at Sandy Farm were looking. This week we were making assessments for honey extraction and checking supers or honey boxes as some call them to see roughly how many boxes we would be lifting. It turned out to be a very disappointing session of removing empty boxes. There weren't even any bees in some of these boxes, such are the current drought conditions. It's looking likely we might get around 250 or 300 kilos of honey from Sandy Farm, possibly a little more. I'm always optimistic, but reality has to step in at some point. The good news is Clay Farm will deliver a honey crop. It does look likely it won't hit the 1 tonne per 25 hives figure, but it won't be far off. The pumpkins really benefited from irrigation here. The plants are very strong now, and while they have set fruit, they do continue to flower. And the bees are returning to the hives covered in pollen, so I'm really happy about that. I don't think that there's much nectar in a pumpkin flower, though. Although last year, I swear I could taste that squash-like flavour in some of the honey, but that could just be because I knew the plants the bees were foraging on. Without doubt, there won't be the yield that we see from the borage coming from the pumpkins. So, honey yield is going to be massively hit this year. We'll wait to see what we end up with, but it will be way down on what we were hoping to have, and that will have a knock-on effect on our plans for this year and heading into next year. More of my change in plans another time, but it's almost shocking to see how dependent we are on the weather. Not that I didn't know that was going to be the case, but I think this is the first year that it's actually made a significant difference to what I'm trying to do. When we began this journey, way back at the beginning of the year, I said then that I thought there would be bumps in the road, and so it has proven to be. I wasn't quite expecting such a massive pothole to appear though. Something that has helped us is the spring honey crop. We managed to take a really good crop from our bees prior to splitting them. Steph keeps reminding me that she told me not to split them too hard and to take a spring crop. In return, I reminded her that I at least listened to her advice. Anyway, we did get a decent extraction then and we have good stocks of honey for our customers. Add to this the honey from our clay farm colonies and it will set us up to manage through the autumn and winter. Ever the optimist, we'll bounce back from this situation and go again next year. There's no point getting too dramatic about it. There are people in a far worse situation than us right now. Talking of worse situations, I need to talk about wasps again. The sandy farm is obviously a haven for them. We've seen thousands, literally. Okay, maybe not thousands, but certainly hundreds. We've been closing down entrances on all hives, even the strongest ones. This usually takes the form of small pieces of foam stuffed into the entrance. But on the techno set hives, they have this really neat little entrance trick where you can simply push down one side and it locks it closed, thus reducing the entrance by half. No chance wasps can get in because the entrance is mobbed by returning bees trying to find the way back into their home. It's also a good time to check supers for holes and gaps just in case those wasps are trying to rob you and your bees of any honey they've stored in the supers. Even more important if you're adding a clearer board to empty the supers of bees 
A small gap in an unguarded super is a recipe for a bun fight of bees and wasps trying to sneak in and steal that honey. You'll return the next day to collect your full super, only to find it empty. This is the voice of experience talking, folks. I've been there before. It's not a nice feeling, especially when honey is at a premium or you only have one or two supers. It doesn't take long to help the colony defend itself and you could save your honey crop from those hungry opportunistic wasps. I've mentioned previously that it's time to treat and feed our bees while almost time. It's important to get the honey crop off first. We don't want to contaminate what honey we have by adding varroa treatments before we've removed the honey. The same applies to feeding colonies. Get the honey off and treatments first, then after a week or two, we'll be putting feeders on. Bulk feeders are my preference, getting food into the hives quickly and efficiently for that autumn feed before the ivy comes into flower, and it might be early this year. For me, the whole extraction process will happen in a week or so. We should have all the honey often extracted in something like a 10-day period, starting this Monday. Then treatments will go into those hives, and those will be followed by feeders and syrup. We're using the Appymix syrups once more from Modern Beekeeping and I know that Paul is getting fresh stocks in sometime in the next few weeks so if you want any feed I would recommend giving him a call and getting a pre-order in place. All that as I say will happen after extraction. Lucky then that the honey room is ready, well almost. Just the floor to wash and the equipment to be set out and that's a job for this evening. Now I know you all know I don't have time for any hobbies anymore, beekeeping being the all-consuming challenge that it is. Well, I've found something I can do while I'm beekeeping, and I never thought I would enjoy it as much as I am. Bird watching. Yep, I've become a bit of a twitcher. I've always carried a pair of binoculars in my truck, and when I was at the Royal Norfolk show recently, I happened to stop by the RSPB stand that's the Royal Society for the Protection of Birds, and I got chatting to the guys there. 30 minutes later, and I was a family member and looking for my first bird spotting outing. So far, it's going quite well, although I do seem to spend a lot of my time with my head in an identification book rather than watching birds. Anyway, I wanted to encourage you all to grab a pair of binoculars and join me in a bird spotting challenge. There's an app, of course, to list all of the birds you see. It's free and it's called Birda, B-I-R-D-A, Birda. Download it, sign up and search me out as a friend and we can see how many different species we can accumulate. I think my best, most impressive identification so far has been marsh harriers. They are spectacular. I do remember I am a beginner here. It's a tenuous link, but the reason I mention all of this is I'm hoping to head out this weekend and see a European bee-eater. They've been spotted here in Norfolk, but they don't pose any threat to our honeybee colonies just yet, but they do look quite spectacular. And before I go, one last bird fact. Did you know that our native kingfisher doesn't have any blue pigment in its feathers at all? There's a little fact to wow your friends over this weekend. Anyway, for my latest videos and podcasts with more updates, tips and techniques, it's the same Patreon page, www.patreon.com forward slash Norfolk Honey. And remember, I'm Stuart Spinks, and that was bird watching. I mean beekeeping, short and sweet. <laughs>